You're listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible-teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. This week we're continuing our study of the book of Galatians. We're calling Legalism to Liberty. With this week's message, here's pastor to middle adults, Joe Cook. As Lance mentioned, it's been a hot, muggy week, so it's good to be in a place that's cool and be able to take a breath and turn our hearts to the, to the Word of the Lord. As I was getting ready this week, I, one of the things I do is I start reading different things. I read through the passage, and I go to some commentaries, and it links me to things, and I can go on some rabbit trails. I don't know if you're like that or not. But one of the things that has always stood out to me, I love a well-turned phrase, a, a good quote, something that embodies a, a lot of information in that one phrase. And what I'd like to start with this morning is a quote from Mark Twain. wouldn't agree with Mark Twain on many things, but I think this is a, a good statement. Twain writes in his way, he says, It ain't those parts of the Bible I can't understand that bother me. It's the parts I do understand. I agree with him. I don't know if you've ever thought about it. I don't lay awake at night about the parts of this Bible that I have a hard time understanding, and there are some parts that I don't understand completely or understand at all. Those aren't the ones that keep me awake. It's the ones I do understand that I struggle with. And this morning, we're going to start with one of those sections. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles, not to Galatians just yet. I'm going to ask you to open your Bibles to the Gospel of Matthew. We're going to look at some of the words of Jesus to begin with. These are some tough words that Jesus shared, and I struggle with them, and I'm going to bet that you struggle with them just like I do. Matthew chapter 5, we're going to look at verses 38. This is from the Sermon on the Mount. In this passage, Jesus says some hard things. I don't know if this is what Mark Twain had in mind, but when I read that quote and it stuck in my mind, these are some of the things that I had in mind. Matthew 5, chapter, uh, chapter 5, verse 38. Read along with me for a few verses. It says, You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I, tell, but I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if one slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And, it, and, and if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you, and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Wow. There's some stuff in there that's pretty hard to digest, some pretty, pretty hard things to embrace. I want to draw your attention to one of those verses that we're going to talk about. We're going to draw a theme from it this morning. It flows well with what we're going to be looking at at Galatians. Look at verse 41. Jesus says, And if someone forces you to go one mile, go with him two. Now, this is alluding to a law that was in the land. The nation of Israel was occupied by Rome, and Rome had a law. Their Roman soldiers could force a citizen to carry their backpack and their armor, whatever they were carrying. They could force them to carry that, that stuff for one mile. Not two, but one. And Jesus has just said to an occupied people, when you're overlords, these people who have conquered you, when they force you to go one mile, go with them two Wow. Now, why in the world would you do that? We have a phrase that's drawn from this verse called going the extra mile. And notice, it's not for people that you like. Look at verse 43. You have heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. 
But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Just in case there was any doubt in the hearer's mind that he was actually talking about their enemies, he just said it very plainly. That's not hard to understand. It's actually very clear, isn't it? But it's hard to embrace. Why in the world would anyone do this? So as I mentioned, as I was reading different things that people had commented about this, I ran across a reference to a book written by a missionary. Uh, her name is Isabel Kuhn. Isabel Kuhn was born in 1901, and she served in the China Inland Mission. And she wrote a book, and the title alone of the book captured my imagination, Second Mile People. That was the title of the book. And in that book, she writes this, describing her idea of Second Mile People, she says, Christ made a difference between the first and second mile. He says plainly, the first is compulsory, but he puts the second up to you and me as his way of doing it. In other words, he suggests it is an offering that you and I may bring for the good and the peace of his kingdom. For the good and the peace of his kingdom. Do you see what she did there? This second mile journey that you would willingly go on? You don't have to. Not in that Roman law. You can, you can drop the pack and take off and the soldier's on his own. And Jesus said, go too. Isabel Kuhn says, that's second mile living. That's a second mile person. And when she talks about this, this is a person who's caught the vision. Caught the kingdom vision. They're not living for self. They're not living for their own rights and their own needs. They're, they're going to step out and they're going to work towards building this kingdom. You know what other vision that person that would do that has caught? The family vision. We're going to talk a lot about family this morning. And I think when we look at verse 45, Jesus is taking our minds there. Look at verse 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. Now notice that, sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes the sun, he makes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. Now Jesus isn't saying this is how you get in the family is by, by these good works. We've been talking about that for weeks. Jesus is very clear about how you come in to be the family. This is the, like the maxim, like father, like son. When he says you will be sons, he's saying you will be like your father. You're going to emulate him when you do this. Because look at what the Father does. He sends the rain and the sun on the just and the unjust. And he says that's the way it's going to be. But before we can be like our Father, we have to be in the family, don't we? You can't be like your Father if, you're not, if he's not your Father. So how do you, you get into this family? How does that work? Well, Jesus is very clear. In one of his conversations with an older Pharisee, he used this language, born again. He said, you must be born again. And the old man was scratching his head. Well, how do you do that? This is in John chapter 3. And Jesus said it as clear in that chapter as I, I think it said anywhere else in Scripture. Familiar words to you. John 3.16 For God so loved the world that He gave His only Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. We come into the family through faith, not through works, not through going the second mile. We've, we've been talking about that a lot. But once you're in the family, Jesus invites you to be like the Father. He invites you to be like Him. If you've never done that, if you've never placed your faith in Jesus Christ and you would like to be in the family, 
you can do it is simply right where you're sitting by placing your faith in him, saying, Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are. I believe you did what you said you did. If you've done that, let one of us know we'd like to welcome you to the family. This is a family. This is the body of Christ, and Jesus is drawing our minds there. In fact, he's drawing us into what I'm going to characterize today as the family business. The second mile people, this is the family business. It's a family vision. Jesus was the ultimate second mile person. Think about what we, what we read in Romans from Paul. He says, but God showed his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. A few verses later, Jesus, it says that Jesus did this while we were enemies. Do you get that? Jesus is a second mile person. He models it. He does that for us. We begin this year studying Micah. Micah's name means who is like Yah, who is like Yahweh. In other words, who is like God? Well, we talked about it. Nobody is just like him except Jesus, but we're all called to be like him. Why would we do this? Well, we would do this to be with our family, to be like our Father, to be like our Savior, Jesus. It's something that stirs deep within us. It's challenging. I get excited when I'm challenged, but honestly, I'm a little fearful too. I wonder, can I really do this? Is this something that's possible for me? You know, if Jesus expects us to go the second mile for an enemy, do you think he probably expects us to do that for brothers and sisters in Christ? I think so, and we're going to look at that this morning. Let's call it an easier demographic. If it just blows your mind to think about doing it for an enemy, well, let's talk about it with brothers and sisters. So now I'm going to ask you to transition over to where we've been for weeks now into Galatians. Galatians chapter 6, we're just going to look at five verses this morning. We're going to spend quite a bit of time on verse 1. It's power-packed verse, has several things in it. We're going to break these five verses up into three basic concepts. We're going to talk about being prepared, or being attentive, being prepared, and being humble. This is kind of the grid that you have there outlined in your bulletin. As we go through this, we're going to see that as we step out into this second mile, these are the things that we need to have going on in our mind. So let's begin and look at verse 1. Brothers, remember, family discussion. This is a family time, family language. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him. And in a spirit, in a, in a spirit of gentleness, keep watch on yourself, lest you be tempted. So brothers, Christian family life. It's family language. Paul here is talking about the, the, the brothers and sisters that they all believe, and he wants them to remember, you're in this together. I want you to imagine a family. Now, it could be your nuclear family, or it could be those people closest to you. Sometimes the people closest to us aren't necessarily those we're related to. But imagine a group of people who love each other deeply, and they're on a journey. And as they're on this journey, maybe hiking a trail through the mountains, Think about how important it is to be attentive to everybody in the group. If one person slips in a hole and twists their ankle, that's going to affect the whole group, isn't it? So as we go along, Paul's saying, we need to be paying attention. Do you hear what he's saying? We're, we're looking around. We're being attentive to what's going on to the brothers and sisters in our, in our body. So as we think about that, Paul uses other metaphors in other places. Look at this chapter in 1 Corinthians 12. 
He says, for just as the body is one and as many members, all the members of the body, though many and are one body, so it is with Christ. Different metaphor, not family, but a body. And he's talking about how we're all connected. Every, every part of the body is connected to the other part. Do you, if you've ever doubted that, there's an easy way to test it, okay? The mouth seems to be a long ways from the foot, doesn't it? But if you've ever noticed when you step on a Lego, it's connected to your mouth. Have you noticed? Hopefully what comes out is just a groan and nothing else. Step on a thorn. The body's connected. We're, we're all in this together, and we have to be attentive to one another. Paul said it another way in a different part of that great chapter, chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. He's saying, God has put the Spirit in you for a reason, and there are gifts that are manifest from that. We spent last week looking at the gifts of the Spirit, and these five verses are strongly connected to everything we talked about last week. As we walk in the Spirit, and the fruit of the Spirit has all those different manifestations, it's for the body. It's for the family. That's what he's saying here. He's saying, you have something that other people need. But notice the specific people that he's pointing us to. Look back at verse 1. Paul wants us to think about a certain category of people. He says, caught in transgression. Now in chapter 5, he talked about the works of the flesh and the works of the Spirit. Works of the flesh were those sensual sins, and there were some other sins associated with that. And when we look at this, and you read caught in any transgression, there's a part of you that kind of feels like, oh, they caught you. It's gotcha. No, that's not really what's going on here. The idea is caught like I'm entangled. You know, when we, when we think about sin, it's not saying that they're innocent. That's not what we're saying. Sin is sin. Have you ever heard the phrase that uh, sin takes you further than you want to go? and keeps you longer than you want to stay. When you see someone that's tangled up in sin, they probably need you to come alongside and restore them and do so gently. Look at those words, restore and gently. Those are important words. We're going to have to think about those as we walk through here. Notice that when we see a brother that's caught in transgression, he says there's a certain type of person that should move in that. Do you see that? Be attentive to the Holy Spirit is what we're going to talk about. You who are spiritual, that's the person that's qualified, that's guaranteed, that's, that is capable of moving into that person's life. But what does that mean, you who are spiritual? Are we talking about super saints? This is obviously talking about pastors or counselors or elders, right? No, this is talking about people who are sensitive to the Spirit. It's talking about chapter 5. It's talking about those who walk by the Spirit, who have learned to step into the Spirit, be attentive to that. And every believer, whether you came to Christ a few minutes ago when I shared the gospel, or you've been walking with Him for 50 years, we have the Spirit indwelling us. Jesus said this in the Gospel of John. He said, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Think about that. The Spirit of the living God indwells you. Paul's saying, if you've learned to be sensitive, if you've learned to study the Word and meditate on it and respond to it, and you see a brother who's caught in sin, love them enough to move into that with them. Step into that world with them and, and experience what they are. A second-mile person is paying attention. 
He's paying attention to the brothers and sisters, and he's paying attention to the Spirit of the Lord. That word restore is an interesting word. It's a medical term. It means to mend a broken bone or to mix medicine. The focus of this word is on cure, not on condemnation. Think about that. The focus of the word restore is on curing, not on condemnation. And notice how we're supposed to do it, a spirit of gentleness. Now that word gentleness is the same word that was a fruit of the Spirit. It's also the same word that we're going to see later when we go back to Matthew. Jesus uses that word to describe himself. One of the only places in the Gospels where Jesus explicitly describes what he's like, and he uses this word gentle. What Paul is saying here is when you move into someone's life, you need to be gentle. And why would he bring that up to the Galatians? Well, what are they struggling with? Remember, they're struggling with these legalists. And can you imagine how the legalists would work? with? Now, they probably read this as, gotcha, gotcha, I see what you're doing. Paul's saying, no, we need to do this gently. Listen to how Warren Wiersbe explains this. I, I, I like this quote by him. He says, because nothing reveals the wickedness of legalism better than the way a legalist treat those who have sinned. You've probably seen this before. A brother or sister in Christ who loves to catch someone else in sin and loves to talk about it and loves to pile on the condemnation. It's this type of activity that gives Christians a bad name and sometimes that bad name, that bad reputation, if this is what's been demonstrated and observed, it's probably deserved. You ever heard the maxim, the Christian army is the only army that shoots its wounded? Yeah. That's what it's talking about. It's talking about when you see someone that's tangled up in sin or hurting, and you go in and you pile on, pile on and condemn them. Second mile people don't do that. Second mile people move in gently. Finally, in this verse, let's look at this final warning at the end of that, of verse 1. It says, keep watch. Keep watch on themselves. He wants us to be aware we're vulnerable. Second mile people aren't perfect. They're not sinless. Second mile people... What one Christian falls into, another Christian can fall into as well. With that idea of restore, the medical language, a doctor goes into a hospital room, he puts on, we learned a lot this past year about PPE, mask and gloves and gowns. And why does a doctor do that? Because they're susceptible to the same things that the patient is, they're human. Paul says, keep watch. So that's verse 1. Let's move to verse 2. Let's talk about be prepared. Look at verse 2. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Paul's broadening the categories here a little bit. When he says bear one another's burdens, it's not as specific as those who are caught in transgression. We're going to see these burdens could be a little bit broader than that. But first, let's look at the word bear. That's the word for endure or support. It's used of Jesus bearing his cross, carrying his cross. It's the idea of a, of a weight that's come down on top of someone else. And it says to bear, it's telling you to go in and lift up with your weight to help out. Bear one another's burdens. Paul talks about this a little bit in that chapter in, in 1 Corinthians. And what I want us to see now is when we get into this ministry, when we decide to walk out into that second mile, we need to be prepared for some things. And one of the things we need to be prepared for is there's going to be some suffering. There's going to be pain. 1 Corinthians uh, 12, Paul says, he says this, he says, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. But do you see that first part? If one man, if one member suffers, 
all suffer together. Remember when the foot stepped on the Lego and it hurt the mouth and everything else? We're all connected. If we go the second mile with someone, we're going to feel, feel that weight. And what is that weight? Look at this word burden. This word burden is a, is a word that means a crushing weight. It means it's too heavy. It means it's something that the animal shouldn't have to carry or that the person shouldn't have to carry or it's sinking the ship. The idea is it's, it's heavy. It's crushing them down. And so when it says to bear one another's burdens, it's saying this person's in trouble and you need to move in. And this word burden in the New Testament is used figuratively. It's not used specifically of an actual weight of stones or metal or something like that. In Greek writing, it's often referred to, used to refer to grief or sorrow. When we move into this ministry, when we step out into the second mile for someone, we're going to have some sorrow. We're going to feel sadness. Paul told us this. He said, we will weep with those who weep in, in Romans 12. Isaiah the prophet, when he talked about Jesus, he said he'll be a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. He's the ultimate super, uh, second mile person. If we're going to be like him, if we're going to walk in that mile with him, we're going to experience some sorrow. We need to be prepared for it. And why would we feel sorrow? Because we've started to love like he is. The fruit of the Spirit is starting to manifest in our hearts. One other thing we need to be prepared for, we need to be prepared to complete the mission. Look at the last part of verse 2. Fulfill the law of Christ. Fulfill the law of Christ. That word fill, fulfill means to complete it. It's like you're filling up a bucket, you fill it up all the way to the top and then some. Over in abundance. Fulfill the law of Christ. Well, what is he talking about? What law is this referring to? The, he's been talking to the Galatians about avoiding the law, right? Well, this is, he's saying, you want a law? Okay, I'll give you a law. How about the law of Christ? Jesus talked about this in John 13. We read, Jesus said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Do you see that? A commandment? It's a law. And what is the law? That you love one another. He said, by this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. His half-brother James, who we have an epistle from, he said it this way. He says, if you really fulfill the royal law according to the Scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're going to do well. Basically, Paul's saying, okay, you want a law? Here's a law. It's the law to love your neighbor. And the burden of this law is not a series of, or a list of do's and don'ts and, and have-tos and very meticulous. The burden of this law is love. If we're going to fulfill, if we're going to step out into this, this second mile, we need to be prepared to finish the mission, to realize that we're part of something bigger. And that's exciting. That's the part of it that we prepare for, we set our minds on it. That will give us the energy to move forward. Second mile people are prepared for the pain, the sorrow, and they're prepared to finish the mission because they're part of something bigger than themselves. Finally, let's look at the last three verses. Let's take them together, read through them together. We're going to talk about being humble in this section. Now, humble is a word that's hard to define. If you go to the Webster's Dictionary, you're going to see what it, it tells you what humble is not. It's going to say it's not arrogant, it's not proud, but it's hard to define what humble is. The way I would define it for you is I would give you an illustration of humility. Go into the Gospels and look at Jesus in the upper room the night before 
He's about to be crucified. He's up there with those closest to him. And they all have some things in common. They all have proud hearts and they all have dirty feet. And nobody wants to wash the feet of anybody else in the upper room. But Jesus, their Lord, their Master, their Creator, the incarnate God, He's the one that gets up, gets down on His knees with a towel, and He washes feet. That's humility. It's strength. It's not weakness. It's love in action. So as we look at these last three verses, Paul's hitting the hammer on this idea of we need to be humble if we're going to step into the second mile. Let's read 3 through 5. If anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor, for each one will have to bear his own load. So verse 3, it's kind of a biting little tone there. Look at what he says. He says, if he thinks he's something... When he's nothing, he deceives himself. Well, what is he saying here? One of the challenges of the printed word is you don't get tone with it. This word something is sort of an idiom. It's, we use it this way. Well, he sure thinks he's something, right? You know, we know what that means. We're not saying he's worthless. We're saying here's a, here's a person who has lifted themselves up, and they are acting like they're better than anyone else. And Paul says... Don't think you're something when you're nothing. He's not saying that you're worthless. Everyone's loved, but the whole point is, is when you move into this ministry, there's a temptation to find that you're, to feel like you're superior to this fallen brother or this brother that's struggling. And he's saying, no, you're not something because you're not, you don't happen to be falling into that right now. Everyone's loved. Everyone is valued. Second mile people are not deceived into thinking they're superior because of their performance. We need to be careful about that. It's a danger, so humility is important. Look at this next verse, verse 4. He says, But at least let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. What I'm reading here is I see him talking about comparison. I think Paul is saying, you know, you need to test your own work. Uh, Lance last week took us to the judgment seat of Christ where we talked about there's this point in our life where we're going to stand before Him. We're going to give an accounting of our life. Now, what lays in the balance isn't heaven or hell or eternal life. What lays in the balance is our rewards. One of the passages that he took us to was 1 Corinthians chapter 3. And in that, we read that there's going to be a test. We had our works compared to gold and silver and precious stones, wood, hay, and stubble. And he said they're going to be tested by fire. Well, that word test that's in 1 Corinthians is this word here that you see in verse 4. He says, let each one test his own work. I don't know if you were in school, if you knew a big test was coming up, sometimes you would take a mock test. You kind of test yourself before. Apostle Paul saying, hey, listen, you need to test your works here. Look at your works and be discerning. And be humble in how you, how you estimate what you're doing. I love this, this thing that Paul said in 2 Corinthians 10. He writes, Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. For it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. As you're in this ministry of second mile people, it would be pretty easy to start comparing yourself to this fallen brother or to other Christians who aren't helping them. Right? Oh, you know, look at me. I'm helping people out. Paul's saying comparison is poison. Don't go there. 
I want you to think about comparison. If you're on Facebook and you see a family and, and maybe they're doing really good and you're like, oh, look how pretty everybody looks and how successful they are, you're going to have one of two responses. You're going to think either I'm worthless, I'm not good enough, I can't do that, or you're going to look at it and go, well, I got those people beat. Those poor saps, I'm better than they are. <laughs> comparison is poison. Comparison will divide a family and it'll divide a heart. And Paul's saying we cannot play that game. We cannot get involved into this comparison. I like the, the way the uh, New Living Translation puts it. It says, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done. And notice, you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. If we're going to go into this work, this if we're going to go into this ministry of the second mile, we cannot play the comparison game. We have to be careful. We have to watch out for that. We have to be humble in how we measure our ability. I want you to look at verse 5. This is a big one. He says, For each will have to bear his own load. Now, if, you were, if you're sitting there, if you have the, the older King James Version Bible, that word load is actually will be translated burden. Well, we were just told to bear one another's burdens, and now we're saying you got to carry your own burden. What's the difference? Well, there's two different Greek words. One is in the ESV is, is translated burden up there in verse 2, but here in verse 5, they've translated it load. And it's an important word because it's different. It's not talking about a crushing weight. It's talking about an appropriate load for one person to carry. Think like a backpack that a soldier would carry. And unlike the Romans, we don't have the permission to take this backpack off and make someone else carry it. This is our portion. That's what Paul's saying here. Each person will have to carry their own load. There are some things that no other person can do for you. The most important thing is your personal walk with Jesus Christ. When I think about this, bear this load, and I was studying through this, I went back to the Gospel of Matthew, and I'm going to ask you to travel back there with me now for just a couple of minutes as we wrap up. Go to Matthew chapter 11, and we're going to look at a familiar passage. If you've ever done any scripture memory, this would be one that has probably been on your list. It's Matthew 11:28 through 30. And it's in this section that we're going to start to learn where the strength for second mile living comes. It's great. I'm in the family. I want to be like the Father. I, I'm excited. I'm, I'm challenged, a little scared, but, but I want to be like Jesus too. But how is that even possible? Because it's hard enough to think about doing this for people that I love. What's it going to be like doing it for enemies? That's, it's overwhelming. It's here that we're going to find the strength. Matthew 11 Verse 28, let's read these three verses. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Look at verse 28. This word heavy laden, do you see the connection to what we're studying in Galatians? They're heavily loaded. They've, they've got too much. Listen to the words of Jesus. I don't know if you felt that way recently. You feel like you got too much going on. You feel like you're tangled up in a sin. You feel like you're, you're overwhelmed by a burden. Maybe it's grief. Maybe it's financial problems. I don't know what it is that's weighing down on you. Jesus has come to me. 
Come to me, you who are heavy laden. And look at verse 29. He does something kind of strange here. He says, take my yoke upon you. Now, wait a minute. You just said, come to me if I'm heavy laden, and you're going to talk to me about a yoke? A yoke is a symbol of work. We're going to look at a picture of one here in just a second. But a yoke is what they would put on a beast of burden to pull a weight. And Jesus is saying, hey, listen, if you want want some help, come to me and take my yoke upon you. But notice, he says, and learn from me, for I am gentle, that's that word again, lowly in heart, that's humble, and you will find rest for your souls. Now, go to verse 30. We're going to see him read, he's going to say, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. The translators in ESV use the word burden, but it's the same word load that we had in Galatians. It's that appropriate package, that appropriate portion. So with that in mind, look at what Jesus said. My yoke is easy and my portion, your portion that I'm going to give you is light. You know why it's light? Because who are you yoked with? Now let's look at this picture. This one cow over here on the left, he's looking pretty healthy, isn't it? But this one over here on the other side is looking very weak and small. Can you imagine if these two are plowing through the field, which one do you think is pulling most of the load? The strong, healthy one. The weaker one is going to have to rely upon that stronger one quite a bit. As we think about what Jesus is inviting us into, he's saying, come and be yoked with me. Sometimes farmers will take a, a, when they plowed this way, would use a very strong, experienced, healthy ox on one side and a less experienced ox on the other so that he would learn. And a weaker ox isn't going to be pushing as much. Jesus gives us this imagery because he's saying, I want you to lean into this with me. And as I thought about all of the imagery, and I I would encourage you to meditate on this idea of being yoked with Jesus. Think about the strong ox and the weaker ox. They're pulling a load. If the weaker ox will keep his eyes on the stronger, more experienced ox and keep pace with him, that load is going to be much easier. But now if he tries to cut to the right and the other one's cutting to the left, he's going to be pulled against that. If he tries to go too fast, he's going to be pulling too much. If he just tries to be passive, it's going to be drug along. The key for that weaker, less experienced ox is to always keep the eyes on the stronger, experienced ox. Jesus says, come and be yoked with me. The portion, your side of it, what I'm asking you to do, it's light. It's manageable because you're in it with me. Jesus said it another way in John 15. He said, I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Apart from me, you can do nothing. The key to being a second mile person is paying attention to your portion, which is being yoked with Jesus. When you're yoked with him, then you will have the ability to move into another person's life. I read recently about two draft horses, these, these powerful draft horses. Let's say each can pull individually, they can pull 2,000 pounds. Well, you think when you put two together, they could pull 4,000, right? No. They can pull three to four times their normal 
pulling capacity when they're yoked together. When we're yoked with Jesus, we have the ability, the margin, the strength, the resources now to move into someone else's life and actually be a help to them. But we have to pay attention to our portion first and follow his lead in moving into their lives. I don't know if you've ever experienced the benefit of the second mile from someone. I hope you have. We're going to talk about it a little bit. You know, as we get, go through this, it sounds very daunting. It sounds kind of scary. At least it does to me. I wonder if I have what it takes. But there's also a part of me that wants to do it. It's not just a commandment to love your neighbor. It's also the greatest opportunity you'll ever have. You get to be in on the ground for investment of a kingdom that's going to last forever and it's going to pay dividends to you for eternity. When we, we move into this second mile, we become part of something bigger than ourselves. It's where we become truly free. When you go into the second mile and you start to help someone else and think about their needs, guess what you're not thinking about so much? You. You start to become truly free. You know, in that second mile, we can actually begin to be less afraid of death. The Apostle Paul said it this way. He said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Paul said, hey, if I die, I'm going to go be with Jesus. If I live, I get to work with him and invest in the kingdom. Now, how do you intimidate a guy like that? You can't. I love those words of Paul. I love the words of a, of a missionary that some of you may be familiar with. His name was Jim Elliott. He was a martyr in 1957, gone to a group of Indians to minister to him, and they ended up killing him. But before that happened, he said these words. He says, he is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep, things in this life, to gain that which he cannot lose, what's to come in eternity. He is no fool who gives up what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. That's second mile thinking. That's kingdom thinking. Still sounds challenging though, doesn't it? You say, I'm not a missionary, I'm not a martyr, I, I'm not a super saint. Those, those guys sound really cool, and that lady that wrote the book, that sounds great, but I don't know if I can do that. Well, listen, I've seen this in everyday life. I was a hospice chaplain for a number of years before I came on staff here. I've seen hospice nurses, I've seen aides, I've seen volunteers, I've seen family members that have gone the extra mile for the sick and the dying. Nurses and aides who stayed up all night with a patient because family either couldn't or wouldn't or there wasn't any. Didn't have to, but they did it because they loved like Jesus. They went the extra mile. I've seen pastors and counselors and uh, people who are just try to go along and help someone make one-hour lunches into two- or three-hour lunches because they want to care for the person. They're, they're going the extra mile. And you know what? Observing these things is great. But if you've ever experienced the benefit of it, oh, that's amazing. And I have. I've experienced that. I've had a mentor who went the extra mile for me over and over again. At one point, even leaving a family event to come and kind of talk me off the wall at a bad time. Oh. And then over the years, some of you that know me know that my, my wife has had some struggles with her health. And during some of the most intense times, I can't even begin to tell you the number of people in this body who've gone the extra mile for us. Taking her to doctor's appointments, uh, bringing meals, one family in particular opening their home to our daughter to keep her for extended days on end so I could go to the hospital to be with my wife. Now let me tell you something. It's one thing to talk about the second mile. It's one thing to see it. 
But when you experience the benefit of it, it is life-changing. And that's why we step into it. Because the family business is changing the world one person at a time, having the courage to step into that second mile with Jesus. Isabel Kuhn finished her book this way. She says, Stand up. Join the second mile people. And then she closed with a verse from an old hymn. For grace alone can reach me and love alone can win. Oh, when we are dying, how glad we will be that the lamp of our life has burned out for thee. Will you take the challenge? Will you ask the Father, who could I be in the second mile with? If you look around this room, there's about 100 people in here this morning. You can't be a second mile person to every single person in here. That's too much. But you could do for one this second mile journey. One pastor has said it this way, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. This is a ministry that's a one at a, one at a time ministry. That's how Jesus came to change the world, was loving people and changing their hearts one at a time. It may be a brother or sister. It may be somebody that looks different than you. It may be somebody that votes different than you. It may be someone that you would even consider an enemy. But if we're going to be in the family, we're going to be in the family business, we take courage and we step out into the second mile. You've been listening to the weekly broadcast of Grace Church, an independent Bible teaching church in Wichita Falls, Texas. You can join us for worship Sunday mornings at our campus on Stone Lake Drive in Wichita Falls. You can also hear each week's message Sunday mornings on 89.5 FM KMOC. Listen to our podcast online anytime at gracechurch.com or find us in the Apple Podcast directory. From all of us at Grace Church, thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.